Uh, good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I hope Gavin is not judging me based on my pulpit this morning. He sent me uh, something from Babylon B. You can judge a pastor by his pulpit. And we'll work towards getting something better than this. John chapter 15. And this is my first time preaching for an iPad, so if everything goes sideways, we're going to have to blame Steve Jobs on this one. But it should be good. All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing well? Awesome. It's good to be here. Good to be in God's Word together. Um, man, God has been gracious to us by giving us this place, giving us this place to worship. Um, and it's so good that you guys are here. I'm so blessed to have uh, guys helping us worship this morning so safely, getting up early, and setting this place up. So, John 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1. So, as a church family, we've been around here for about like nine months now. Really, we were kind of birthed about nine months ago. But, uh, before that, was also our small group for about a year. And uh, but nine months really has brought us to this place. And we are grateful that the Lord is using this hockey arena for His glory. He is very good in doing so. Uh, today marks some new beginnings for us. As a church as well. Um, you guys have heard some of the news from last weekend, some of the announcements we, we set out there, just some of the things that are, that are coming down the pipe starting this week. Um, uh, you guys have sacrificed a lot. I know I think I said that last week. We've sacrificed a lot of comforts, a lot of uh, bells and whistles from the north, uh, being at the church up there to come down and worship in this small gathering. We've stepped up in faith together. We began gathering Sunday mornings here starting in October. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you guys to persevere. To be persevering and to be reaching out. We have to be at the work of the Great Commission every day and also just letting people know about our church. Um, so we're excited to see what God's going to do in this place with these people. You know, church planting can be a little chaotic. I wonder if you guys give me a bit of a taste of that sometimes. It's a little bit chaotic. I think Josh worked 82 hours this week and then loaded up this morning and, and, uh, and got our worship uh, music going. And so we thank you, Josh, for all of your, your hard work. Uh, so over the past weeks, we've been figuring out a lot of the details about serving and organization and who's going to be doing what. You've been seeing lots of emails and, and things flashing in your phone from Planning Center saying, we want you to serve. And so we thank you for uh, accepting those requests. Um, we're wanting to be sensitive to our needs at this time. Um, we need to be about the Great Commission. We need to be about reaching out. But we also have to be sharpening our sword. Now, we just finished watching a rich series uh, in, of, from Harvest Oakville on the sufficiency, the inerrancy, and the centrality and priority and necessity of Scripture, really setting us straight for who we are as a church. We are here because God has revealed himself through his word, and he calls us to be gathering together. Now, there's two brand new things started this week, and the first is small groups. We're going to be starting in small groups. Like I said, we need to be sharpening our swords while we're also building the wall. Um, so we have three groups starting. There's going to be the Southwest group. Uh, Benisons or Weeds are going to be heading that up. It's going to be meeting at the Benisons home on Tuesday nights in the southeast. It'll be at 7 o'clock. 
We also have in the southeast, I hope I just said that right, Venice is the southwest. This next one is the southeast. Kashevsky's are going to be hosting at their place. I'll be there leading that, but you guys will be opening up your home. And Jerry's looking a little stunned like he just found that out. <laughs> Trust me, you guys didn't know about that. <laughs> and also, we have Gavin and Maggie up in Renfrew. Um, on, uh, that's going to be on Thursday night. So we kind of get north and then both up to the bottom, southeast and southwest covered. So I will look at the website. You guys will see everything on there. When these, the addresses are, weddings are taking place, and that we really want to be pouring into each other as God is pouring into us. The next thing is this we're going to be doing this. It's going to be live preaching from here on out. The only time there may not be live preaching is if I get sick or something like that happens. Maybe we'll find somebody. Or we could always revert back to the good preaching from Harvest Oakville. Like I said, I've been reading a little bit of Ezra and Nehemiah when the Israelites were rebuilding the wall that came back and Jerusalem was destroyed. And they had that all the families and all the tribes had to start building the wall. I just wanted to read this to encourage you. Nehemiah 4.17. It says this, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. This is really where I think we're at as a church right now. We want to be growing, we want to be invited, but we also need to be growing closer together, getting back to that small group accountability, that small group prayer time that we need so much, and that's going to be our next season. So we're going to be giving ourselves to the preaching of God's word and sharpening one another in small groups. So as I've been thinking about and praying about what we're going to be focusing on from the pulpit uh, up to Christmas and a little bit beyond that, um, I was looking at doing a book, but we still have enough time to get into a book. And so I really think we need to focus again on discipleship and what that looks like in our church. And so as we're moving to small groups, uh, we want to be about growing in Christ's likeness together, being Christ followers. And that brings us to uh, this series. Uh, some of you guys went through that this this uh, spring with us, a video series from Harvest Oakville. It's actually their discipleship model. And uh, I was even uh, talking with Robbie, who's a pastor from Oakville last week, and they've given us full uh, license to go ahead and use that for ourselves as well. Um, Harvest is traditionally kind of the model is this worship walk work, but the 5G life really kind of fleshes that out into a clearer context for us. And so we're going to be jumping into I Am a Christ Follower series. Um, so some of us have been in this, and uh, it's just so good to go back again and take a quick look at uh, what God has for us. So we've got a little short video to introduce us to this series, and this series is going to take us beyond Christmas. Um, I want you guys to keep January, I think it's 21st, in your minds. We're really hoping and praying that the Lord will uh, grant us license to be able to actually physically officially launch this church on January 21st. Keep praying towards that. So let's watch this video. At Harvest Oakville, we are committed above all to being followers of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. After all, it was Jesus who said, follow me. This then becomes the highest priority and greatest aim for those who follow Christ. There is no greater joy in life than finding that your footsteps are stepping in His. But here's the question, what does a true follower of Christ look like and what does a follower of Christ do? 
At Harvest Oakville, we use three key words to describe a genuine Christ follower. First, a Christ follower is someone who abides. They stay with Jesus. They believe the truth that apart from him, they can do nothing, and that with him, they can do all things for his glory. Their personal relationship with Jesus is not a one-time thing, but an ongoing, passionate pursuit of his presence in their lives. Simply put, it's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in him. Second, a Christ follower connects. By God's design, a true Christ follower is never on a solo mission. Rather, they gather together with other followers of Jesus for community, friendship, and growth as a family of God. Like any family, they know that they need others around them and that their strengths and gifts are needed by others also. And finally, a Christ follower shares. They know all they have heard and seen of Jesus cannot be kept to themselves, and they obediently share this truth with those around them. As they follow Christ, they respond to the undeniable call and command to make disciples. Abide, connect, and share. Three simple words to define what a Christ follower looks like. But how can you get there? How do you learn to live your life for what matters most as a follower of Christ? Abiding in the Lord, connecting with the church, and sharing with the world are all built on relationship. And every healthy relationship requires time. Therefore, as a follower of Christ, the way you use your time is critical. At Harvest, we believe there are five key ways to make the best use of your time and grow as a Christ follower. We call this the 5G life. First, God time. A resolve to set aside time each day to pursue God through His Word and prayer. Second, gather time. A choice to join God's family in weekly worship with other Christ followers in a large group. Third, group time. A commitment to consistent growth and accountability within a small community of other believers. Fourth, give time. A decision to sacrifice what God has given you to serve others. Fifth, go time. A boldness to set aside time annually to spread the gospel locally and globally. Five times, all of which are critical for a follower of Christ. This may seem overwhelming at first, but we suggest you begin your journey with little steps. This means intentionally deciding to give Him the best of the times you have, and we believe the rest of your life will follow. As you spend your time this way, we believe you will grow in your dependence upon God, grow in your community with other people of God, and grow in your hunger to see the mission of God spread out from your life. This is the life of a Christ follower. chunk of change to be put into words this church plant. They've also said basically whatever theirs is ours. So uh, Robbie and the staff over there and the elders have been really, really generous with us. So when I was first introduced to the 5G life, I was really struck by its simplicity and clarity. Like I said, we had the worship, the walk, and the work, but this really cleared it up for me. Like I was looking at worship and I'm like, well, isn't all those things wrapped up in, in worship? So this really gives us some clear, tangible concepts that we can hold on to. So this abiding, this connecting, and this sharing. 
We see this further fleshed out into God time, gather time, group time, gift time, and go time. So we're going to begin today by looking at abide. We're going to be I'm preaching on the, the theology behind abiding. So the first three Sundays we're going to be doing abiding, and then we're going to move to connect next week, and then share. And then from there we're going to move out to how that practically works itself out in our lives in discipleship. So the God time, the gather time, group time, give time, and, and go time. So I pray that you are excited to be digging into what God desires for you for to be a true Christ follower. Does anybody think you need help with being a Christ follower today? I think we all can say we need a lot of help. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. Your word that reveals to us who you are. And we are nothing apart from you. That we can do nothing apart from them. We thank you, Lord, that you are the vine and we are the branches. Lord, we ask you this morning to, to work on our hearts, to open our minds to the knowledge of your truth. Would you apply that truth as wisdom into our hearts, which then would change our actions, our volition? That we would follow you wholeheartedly, that we would be true Christ followers, that the world outside would see these people are different. These people are changed. And I pray that you would push us outside of our comfort zones. You'd push us into the world with your marvelous gospel that we would not be afraid and that we would be boldly proclaiming the good news that you have. So we thank you for your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate the text to us. Lord, I bring nothing to the table but your word. Speak to your people. I pray this in Christ's name. Or if anybody needs a Bible, just put your hand up. I'm sure uh, we have some here somewhere, I think. Uh, if not, um, I'm sure you can affiliate somebody else and, and use theirs. Uh, so John 15, we're going to start at verse 1. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So as we parachute into this text, um, we encounter Jesus. We encounter him uh, during his farewell discourse, chapters 14 to 17, and John. This takes place right after the Last Supper. 
Um, right then, it was, after it was revealed that Judas himself was a false disciple, and this was before Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, and during these final moments with his disciples, he teaches eternal truth about himself. He is the Messiah. He teaches this to his disciples, and he uses these various I am statements. Right back in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Feast upon me. Chapter 8 and 9, I am the light of the world. This world is dark and needs the light of God to shine in in order to redeem humanity to himself. Chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. I am the entrance into the kingdom. He says, I am the good shepherd. I care for you. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. When you are found in him, you are resurrected up with him and living. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now he broaches this final I am in verses or chapter 15. And we're really going to focus on one verse today. One verse, we're going to color it with the context of the surrounding uh, verses as well. But it's I am the vine. You are the branches from verse 5. So in this single verse, in the surrounding context, you and I are going to discover today that it is impossible to follow Christ without abiding in Christ. It's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in Christ. And we see this reality illuminated in three distinct angles, and the first one is going to be this. Point number one, a true Christ follower is supernaturally rooted. A true Christ follower is supernaturally rooted. We see that in the first part of verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So in this first section, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he's teaching us about the most amazing, the most supernatural, the most powerful reality that exists in all of creation. It's the reality that sinners like you and like me, when we are saved, we are inextricably, inseparably, supernaturally, eternally connected to Christ himself. We're united to Christ. He is the vine, and we are the branches. Vine and branches. Now this terminology of vine and branches this is all over the Old Testament scripture. Up to this point in the Bible, that nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was often regarded as a vine. A vine. In Isaiah 5 and Ezra and Psalm 8, like we just read this morning. Israel was supposed to be that choice vine. But there was ongoing problem. There was a reciprocating sin problem in the people. Israel was, was very, very poor at producing fruit. In fact, Ezekiel himself prophesies, he says this in chapter 15, that uh, Jerusalem is basically a useless vine, and it's only fit for fire and judgment in the eyes of God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over again the Jewish people failing, sinning, turning from the Lord, mixing in with the nations, going after false gods, 
And then God judges them, but he judges them with the intent to bring them back to repentance, and they turn back to the Lord, and then they turn again to their own ways. You see this reciprocal problem in the Old Testament. Whenever you look at the failures of, Jesus, or of Israel, there is no failures of Jesus. Whenever you look at the failures of Israel, their stiff necks, their rebellion, you got to remember that the Old Testament scriptures were written down for our instruction to tell the story of God's redemptive work with his people, but also to shine the light of God's redemptive work for us. We, just like Israel, are prone to rebellion. We're prone to rebellion against the Lord. And our need is the same as the Jews. We need that same Messiah. Israel was sinful. It was a fruitless vine. But Jesus says here, I am the vine. I am the one who prevailed where Israel failed. I am the true vine, he says in verse 1. And his disciples hearing this would have known exactly what he's talking about, exactly what he's referring to. They would have felt that same guilt, the guilt of the nation of Israel. But Jesus then says to them, you are the branches. So he says that to you and me as well. He says that you are the branches. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Have you ever thought about that deeply? What does that mean? That we are the branches. Jesus is the vine. I really find it incomprehensible. This statement is hard to understand. It's, it's mind-boggling. That I am somehow a branch of the living God. That I am raised up and seated with Christ. That you are raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you and I are adopted as sons that we are co-heirs with Christ. That's what a Christian is. As a true disciple, you have all these things. You're covered by Christ's righteousness. You are filled by his Holy Spirit. And this is not your own doing. This is not my doing. Did you do it? Did you guys do this? No, you didn't do it. When's the last time you looked up? That's some really beautiful branches. Some really beautiful branches full of leaves, full of fruit. And those branches are just floating up there in the They're just floating, just on their own. Right? No trunk, just floating. Is that even possible? It's not possible. Can a branch be sprouted from nothing? Can a branch grow apart from the vine? The very fact that Jesus says he's the vine and we are the branches reveals that he is the headwaters of all of our faith. He is the source. He is the foundation. He is our life. He is our sustenance. He is our vitality. All of our life, all of our faith and our joy are to be sourced in him and in him alone. And that's still true for us today. Right? This is truth for all eternity. That you and I are supernaturally rooted in Christ. We're rooted in Christ. But how do we get here? How do we get here? How do we receive this supernatural union with the Almighty? 
How did you and I become united to Christ into this living vine? Your relationship with Christ is the most important thing in life. It's the most important, important relationship you could ever have, ever. Wayne Grudem on this slide says, Union with Christ is a, a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ, through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are in Christ, that Christ is in us, that we are like Christ, and we are with Christ. This relationship we have with Jesus is something we could never achieve on our own. This is a supernatural relationship. I want to share with you six key realities of our union with Christ. How did we get here? Jesus, Lord, God is sovereign over this whole thing. Six key realities we see here. The first one is divine election. God chooses me in Christ. Before the foundation of this world, Jesus says, God chose me. He predestined me. He elected me to be a part of his kingdom. And it's not that he looked down the tunnel of time and said, Clinton or Josh or Alina are going to choose me. No, he says, I'm going to choose them. I'm going to choose them based on nothing that they have done. The next we see is regeneration. God made me alive in Christ. He made me alive. Regenerate to be regenerated is to be made alive, to be born again. And he does that in Christ. And he also gives us faith. God grants us faith. We don't have faith on our own. Our union with Christ means that God has granted us faith in Jesus Christ. And we have justification. This is something we really need to wrap our heads around. God declares me righteous in Christ. God declares me righteous in Christ. This doesn't mean that I, I am righteous, right? Because we know that the Christian life, we walk this life and we're still sinners until the day that we die where Christ comes to take us home. But the beauty is, is that upon Christ's resurrection, he declares us righteous. His righteousness is applied to us. Our sin was put on him. And as the Father looks down at us, he sees Jesus and his righteousness applied to our life. What an amazing union. And then we have sanctification. God works Christ in me. God works Christ in me. Sanctification is the part of our salvation that we join God in the work. He enables us. He gives us everything. He covers us with Christ's righteousness. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us each other. And we begin to grow in holiness for his glory. And then glorification, the day that we long for, God will glorify me in Christ. Like I said, if he comes to take us now or we die, we will be ushered into the kingdom of the Lord in a glorified state. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering to worship the Lord and live with him forever. So this is some of the beauty that's a part of our union with Christ. Now, a lot of these are some big words that we can really dive into in, in some other time. But just 
try to wrap your head around all the beauty that is in our union. And what's key to this union is that we are abiding in Christ and he is abiding in us. It's a supernatural abiding and it's absolutely incredible, absolutely beautiful. So did you know today that they can take people without limbs and attach limbs, right? Now why would I be curious about something like that? Honestly, I don't know what I would do with another arm. But really, it's interesting to me that about 18 months ago, there was a young boy named Zion. He lost his hands and feet to disease. But he underwent an 11-hour double-hand replacement surgery. Four teams of doctors tirelessly worked at attaching bone, attaching muscles and veins, major arteries and nerves and flesh. And after all their work was complete, these teams, they watched intently to see if this limb was going to live, whether it was going to begin to show signs of life, to see if the body would accept these new limbs. And when that color returned to his hands, and his pulse began pulsing, there was great rejoicing. Young Zion had, had two hands that were that are working, that were donated to him by somebody else. This arm has been united to his body, his arms. And the body, more importantly, the body began to accept it and to sustain these limbs. And in such a greater way, this has happened for you and I in Jesus Christ. Right? Upon salvation, you and I are grafted into the vine. We're grafted into the vine. It's like putting a little on a person, right? And the Lord connects to you this supernatural union, and He is the source of love. You are supernaturally united to Christ. So, right now, do you believe that this relationship you have, this union, is the most important thing in your life? Does the Lord deserve all of our worship? Is abiding in Him the most important relationship that you can think of? Are you abiding in Him? Are your greatest passions, your greatest affections, are they directed to the Lord and His purposes? Sadly, I think we can all say we fall short, right? We fall short. So, what are some of these reasons? What are some of these reasons that our abiding may be suffering? Our affections may be misplaced. Perhaps we're settling for lesser comforts, lesser things in this world that steal away our worship. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by the struggles, by the sin, when we forget our true standing in Jesus, that we are united with him. Why aren't we carving out that intentional abiding time that we need. Perhaps we're not abiding. Maybe it's just a simple fact that we're not united to Christ. Right? It may be. Jesus is the vine. He's the true vine that gives you life. He is the only source of true living. True Christ following. Andrew Murray says this, 
A soul filled with large thoughts of the mind will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in him. Be much occupied with Jesus and believe much in him as the true mind. It's impossible, friends, it's impossible, church family, to follow Christ without abiding in him. A true Christ follower is supernaturally abiding, supernaturally united to Christ. And this leads us to our second point. A true Christ follower is spiritually fruitful. A true Christ follower is spiritually fruitful. You see that in the second half of this verse. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So this word that uh, we're using here for abide, the Greek word now, here this means when something is to remain, where it's supposed to be, where it continues in a fixed state, it's where it's supposed to exist. And in a Christian sense, it's to understand that we are to hold fast to the most logical place for the Christian. The most logical place for the Christian is to hold fast to the vine of Christ. Now we have to be careful in how we understand this, this holding to the vine. Now, it says here, uh, it doesn't say that we abide with Christ. We've got to be clear with that. We're not abiding with Christ. It says, what does it say in your Bibles? It says, we abide in Christ. Okay? And this is really, really important for us to understand. Because our only hope in producing good fruit is being connected and empowered in the vine. Because branches cannot produce fruit on their own, right? You need to be connected to the vine to produce fruit. Jesus actually says this in the previous verse in verse 4. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There's this interrelation, this, this, this relationship that cannot be overcome. It is completely sourced in Jesus Christ. And this is so important for us to understand. You and I and the whole world, we're so prone to trying, so prone to achieving. We're so prone to trying to reach heaven through our own efforts. We're so prone to trying to do things of spiritual value with, with our earthly hands, with our earthly efforts. Just remember the Jews. Remember them and the vine problem. One of the reasons they became a useless vine is because they tried to do the spiritual things through their own efforts. They believed that salvation came through law-keeping. When the law was meant to point them to who? The law was meant to point them to Jesus Christ. It was meant to be a mirror to themselves, showing them of their sinful state, and that there is a Messiah to come who would be the perfect law of keeping. They created hundreds of laws of their own to try to keep those original laws, or to help them to get around those laws. And Jesus said what? He said they polished the outside of the cup. They're whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. This is our human condition. We try to polish ourselves up. 
We try to work on the outside. We try to work our way to heaven. We have to remember that. Apart from Christ, all of our works are like filthy rags, as Isaiah 64 says. Even the most, even the most spiritual looking people are prone to not abiding in Christ. You may look great on the outside. You may look the part. You know, I lived in, in Louisville, Kentucky for a while. This is the kind of the top of the, the Bible Belt. And this is a real problem. It's a real problem everywhere, but we've really seen this on display. A lot of people said they were Christians. A lot of people looked the part. They drove the cars to church on Sunday. But there was a superficiality. There wasn't a deep work going on in their lives. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Never knew you. We want to hear those words from our Lord. So I commend you to stop working. Stop working and start abiding. They're very different. Start abiding in the Lord. Matthew 11 28 says, Jesus says this Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord will give you rest from your laboring. Because he finished the work for you. Famous Christian missionary Hudson Taylor said this about abiding. He said, The branch of the vine does not worry and toil, and rush here to seek for sunshine, and there to find rain. No, it rests in union and communion with the vine. And at the right time and the right way is the right fruit found. Let us so abide in the Lord Jesus. Well, I don't know about you guys, but, but I tend to fall in the wrong direction here. I'm often prone first to be doing rather than communing. You know what I mean? I don't know if you guys feel that too. You probably do. I often rush, rush to get something done for the kingdom rather than abiding in the Lord, abiding in the vine. And seeking him. I need to be seeking him for him to do what only he can do as the true vine. Even when it comes to our church plant, right? There is a temptation to run the things that are going to produce results, right? There's lots of things we can do to try to get people in here that would not be abiding in the body of Christ. There's a strong conclusion there. What about you? When it comes to your faith, when you're struggling, when you want change or you want results, do you run to doing or do you run to the root? Perhaps you're resting in false evidences of the faith as well, right? There is false evidences of the faith, things that we hold on to that really are not in Scripture. Things that we, we uh, I would say, are five 
false evidence is Christianity. I'll give you five of these right now. These are false assurances, false evidences of faith. And it would be this. I'm a Christian because I call myself a Christian. Right? Yes or no? Yeah, I'm a Christian nation. Uh, a president might even say that. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, but we look at the fruit. So this is a false evidence. I call myself a Christian, but there really is no change. There is no fruit in my life. How about number two? I said a prayer once. I said a prayer once. We know that the Lord works in different ways. And he can save you through an altar call. He can save you through a testimony on the street. He may even save you through a trap that he walks you through. He can do that. But we don't hold to those things as our salvation. We, we hold to the vine, the one who is the only one who can save. How about this? My parents are Christians. Therefore, I'm a Christian, right? My parents are Christians. We have these discussions in our house all the time. Our boys are not Christians because of us, right? And we need to be faithful to share the gospel with them and to, and to discipline and to show them the way. But ultimately, it's the Lord who saves, right? So you're not parents, or you're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. Next, I grew up in the church, right? Growing up in the church is no guarantee that you are a Christian, right? I grew up in a church, and for many years of my life, I was far from Christ. I'm thankful for the seeds that were planted, but I was nowhere near being a true Christ follower. Number five, I was baptized. Uh, often when I meet somebody on the street asking if they're a Christian, they might say yes. Yeah, I was baptized when I was 14, I'm a Christian, right? And really, that's that's really that's not evidence of salvation. I was baptized as an unbeliever. I'll tell you that, when I was 14 years old. I don't think I knew the Lord then. So those things are false evidences of Christianity. And I want to show you those because there is true evidences of Christianity. We'll get to those a little bit later. But when it comes to our faith, Scripture doesn't tell us to find our assurance in these things. It calls us to look for what? What are we to look for? To look for fruit. Right? Look for fruit. So friends, true spiritual fruit, true discipleship, comes only from true spiritual abiding in the one who abides in you. And when you abide in the one who abides in you, he powerfully produces fruit through you. It's an amazing thing. Any, any kind of results of, of your work in this kingdom, if somebody comes to faith through your faithfulness in sharing the gospel, it was Christ that produced that fruit through you. It's such a privilege. What a privilege it is that God would use a sinner like me to work his work and save people and to make change in people's lives. Spiritual fruit is the mark of a true Christian. Now you often can't tell who are true Christians just by mere outward appearances. Sometimes, like I said, those who look the most Christian are the ones who are farthest from God. So it's not about outward appearances. You can't clean yourself up. You can't Pharisee your way to heaven, right? You must be radically birthed from the vine. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a way to tell if you're a true Christ follower, or if there's true Christ followers around you, okay? He's saying that a true disciple is known by his fruit, and this is so, so important. 
How many people have been out in the woods berry picking? Anybody grow up going up berry picking? Is that a past art? No? Okay, I see four some other guys. We used to go berry picking all the time. Now I remember going up to the woods, which is fine because they know I like my berry. Glorious. Um, but I remember going out in the spring, right? And there's no leaves on the on the trees. And all we can see is these scraggly, what they look like willows to me. I don't know if these are gonna be berry trees, right? But tell me when the best time of the year is for you to know what a tree is. I'm thinking of Saskatoons, right? From my favorite areas. Right? When I'm in the, in the spring, I don't know if it's a Saskatoon bush or a willow bush half the time. But in August, when we're walking around the edges of the field, you can see these branches just full of Saskatoon berries. I know that it's a Saskatoon bush because of the fruit fruit. And so it is with us. So it is with true disciples. You will know them by their fruit. A true Christ follower is spiritually fruitful. And we see in the surrounding context of this from verses 1 to 11, some, some indicators of true faith. I'm just going to choose five of them. Five indicators of true Christianity. And the first one is faith. In the next slide there. Anyway, first one is faith. From verse 7, if you look down at verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Faith. We see here this faith at work, these prayers being prayed and they're being answered by the Lord. This is an indicator of true Christianity, a person who has true faith. And faith really on display is being on your knees, really going to the Lord who can answer only the things that he can do. We see that here. Abiding in me and my words abide in you. The Lord's work living in me. And he says, what to do with that? Ask me whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Believe, and the Lord will provide. So faith is a true indicator of Christianity. God's word abiding in us, giving us faith. It leads us to pray, and we believe that the Lord will do what he says he'll do. The next one would be love in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Faith and love. Abiding in God's love spills over into spiritual fruit of love for others, for God and for his church. Love. Another indicator is obedience. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Love to the Lord is obeying And it's only through the power of the Spirit that comes through the vine that we can even try to obey. It's only an enabled thing through the Lord. Joy. Joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Is your joy full of the Lord right now? He says your joy can be full in Jesus. Christ, are you a joyful person? In the sense that, is your joy wrapped up in Jesus? Or is it wrapped up in other things? If your Christian is marked by divine joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you act upon that? It really is true. It really is true that, that we are to find our joy in the Lord. 
abiding in joy, resting in his promises, growing in his likeness. And the last mark is this, glory. Glory. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. When you produce spiritual fruit, the Lord gets all the glory, and you are happy to give him all the glory. Because you know all the glory is due his name. Bearing fruit brings the Lord glory. And really importantly there, it says, and you so proved to be my disciples. Right? So you bear fruit, the glory goes to the Lord, the proofs that you are. So that's just five to be working from this week as you contemplate this and meditate upon this. The truth is, is true disciples live for the glory of God. And we want to be a church that lives for the glory of God to put Christ on display in all that we do. And we don't want to be false branches, right? Because false branches do not exude these kind of qualities. In fact, the prophet Hosea lamented over the fruitlessness of Israel. He said, Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for itself, right? So Israel is wrapped up in its own glory. Instead of bringing the glory to the Lord, they're wrapped up in their own glory and producing fruit for themselves. Now, I, I get the great joy of knowing you guys, right? Starting to get to know some, some of the newer ones a little bit more. And we're going to have new people come into our church, and we're not going to know where they're at. We want to love them deeply, and, uh, and they may come in here as an unbelief. Right? So we want to be watching for fruit. We want to make sure that, that we ourselves are abiding. We want to bring them along with us in the abiding with the Lord. The one thing that we should do this week in our small groups is to, to do some self-examination, right? Is there any observable spiritual fruit in my life right now? Ask yourself the question, you get up in the morning, where's the fruit? And that's not where the bananas are on the table. It's, where's the fruit in my life? And you may need to ask somebody, you know, I, I'm not seeing anything. What are you seeing in my life? God's giving you a wife, a husband, family, friends, even your children. They see the fruit on display. You ask them, what are you seeing? The fruit in my life. Perhaps maybe I'm calling myself a Christian because I grew up in a church. Because I said a prayer one time, or I walked down an aisle. Self-examination is scriptural. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. It's always good to stop and do a review of your spiritual life. I'm going to do this this week. Go through Galatians. Galatians 5, measure yourself against the spiritual fruit that we see there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness and self-control are these things growing in my life. Or is there a possibility I might be a false branch? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. See if you're displaying that spiritual fruit. Jesus warns us in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and they are burned. There's plenty of dead branches thinking that they are living branches. But the Lord has judged them for that. This world is full of dead branches all around us. And I pray that we would be compelled 
to see them as such. Uh, we were at the conference last weekend, the, the uh, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation uh, with the Gospel Coalition, and, uh, and Tim Humphrey was saying this, that um, the world doesn't even think that they're dead, but the worst of that is that we as Christians don't deal with them as if they're dead, right? We don't really believe that they're dead. If we really believe that the world was dead around us, we would be compelled all the more to be going and sharing the good news of Christ. And more than that, we also don't believe that we are alive, right? We don't believe that we are alive in Christ, that we are empowered, that we are full of life and sustained by the glory of Jesus Christ. So we need to be living in right reality here. The world is dead and we need to hear the gospel. We're alive in Christ and we're sent to go. It's very clear that there are false branches, branches who think they belong to the vine, but there is people that are false branches. That's a reality. It's never too late to turn to the Lord. That is the good news. It's never too late to examine yourself. It's never too late to confess your sin, to repent of your sin, to turn away from your own path, the sinful life, and to trust fully in Jesus Christ. He is our salvation, and he will graft you into his vine. He will cover you with his holiness, and he will fill you with his life-giving spirit. And he will produce fruit in you. It's impossible to follow the Lord without abiding in him. And you cannot bear fruit without abiding in him. So abide in the Lord, in the Lord. There is so much in this world that we are abiding in besides the true and living vine. Far too often we abide in ourselves, right? We trust in ourselves. We abide in our lusts. We abide in our sin. We abide in our passions and our work, our success and our hobbies. We abide in our vacations with our social status. But let me ask you, how fruitful are those things? How fruitful are they? We even place our abiding in good things, right? Like our families, our spouses, our children. Yes, we love them all, but they are not our source of life. We're looking at these things as if they are sometimes that the success of my family or the direction of my children, that is what's going to bring me joy and success. But we need to be abiding in the Lord and allowing Him to produce His spiritual fruit in us. A true Christ follower is spiritually fruitful. And that brings us to our last point, which is a true Christ follower is entirely dependent. A true Christ follower is entirely dependent. And a lot of people looked at the Christian faith and they said, oh, that's just for weak people. And we say, amen. It is for weak people. We understand our weakness, our folly, our foolishness. The Lord is strong to save. We can't do this on our own. We trust Him. We are weak. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Let's say that together. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. These eight words really sum up this whole section of Scripture. 
He's teaching his disciples and teaching us the truth that anything other than 100% reliance and dependence on Jesus Christ is absolute foolishness. He is everything. He is the center. He is the unshakable foundation. He is the very point of this whole book. He is our life. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. The book of Colossians teaches us that Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn of men, brethren. He is number one in our life. He is our only hope, our only strength. Friends, you and I, we bring nothing to the table. We're weak, we're foolish, we're dead before we meet Christ. We may be some of the smartest. We may be some of the most beautiful. We may be some of the strongest people on the outside of the world. But apart from the very person of Jesus Christ, our mind, we can do nothing. So are we living like it? Are we living like it? So what really shakes you up? What really shakes your foundations in this life? What do you stay awake thinking about in the night? Is it safety? Is it money? Is it health? Is it love? Is it relationships? What are you trusting in? Where are you finding your hope? Is your strength in abiding in Jesus? Are you running to earthly comforts? rather than the one who promises eternal comfort? Are you salving your sores with temporary delights when Christ promises to be the delight of your heart? Where are you finding your fulfillment and your joy? If you were to look at a scale of 0 to 100 and try to measure, try to measure how dependent you are on Jesus, would it be, would it be 25%? Would it be 50? Would it be 75? What would your spouse say you're depending on? What would your family say you're depending on? What would your friends say that you are depending on? When you examine a Bible, not just by what you say, yeah, I'm right in Christ, but the evidence of your life, your love, your devotion to God's Word, the study of God's word, the memorization, meditation upon his word, the measure of your prayer life, right? These are measures of, of your vitality in Christ. Do you love God's word? Are you running to prayer? Or are you praying half heart? Are you praying barely at all? Are you just fractionally dependent? You need to be a hundred percent dependent and no less. Jesus Christ. Because we are. This is the reality. We are. We need to be 100% dependent on the Lord. So where do we start? Where do we start with all this? And that's where we're starting with abiding. It really starts with abiding. And I would say it starts with marveling at the beauty of the vine. Marvel at the beauty of the vine. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one 
degree of glory to another. Marvel at the vine. How do you do that? How do you marvel at the vine with the book closed? The book has to be open. We've got to be marveling at Jesus Christ through what he has revealed. How do we start? How do we start by it? How about repenting? Right? How about repenting? Repenting leads to true abiding. Let us repent of our complacency. Let's repent of our lack of taking God's word into our hearts. Let's repent of our prayerlessness. Let's repent of our lack of faith. Let us ask the Lord to help us in our unbelief, to give us the strength to abide 100% on the Have you ever taken a piece of coal? So you got a, you got a fire going, a big, big, massive bunch of coals. So you're going to pick up some, some steaks or something like that. You got this red hot gathering of coals burning. And then you take one of those away from the fire and you put it to the side. What happens to that piece of coal? The piece of coal grows cold. Christians can grow cold. They can grow cold. We need to have that coal abiding in the fire of the vine. We can only do that as we are spiritually enabled by the Lord. Right? Can't work for this. Ask the Lord to help you, to grant you repentance, to grant you the strength to enable you by His Spirit to bring you to the fire to keep you hot. To stand fast and hold fast to the fire of God's word. His in Christ Jesus. It's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in Him. A true Christ follower is supernaturally rooted. A true Christ follower is spiritually fruitful. And a true Christ follower is entirely dependent. So this is where we're going, guys. This is where we're starting this off with the theology of abiding. We're going to be working out from that. In these coming weeks, we're going to flesh this out into how this works into our lives. And I'm so excited that we have small groups to take what we're doing here and press it into our lives throughout the week. We're going we're gonna to do some really practical things, right? So abiding is one of those things you're like, wow, what does that mean, right? And I've touched on a few, right? God's word and prayer. Key pillars of abiding, right? And so we're going to talk practically how does that work itself out in our life. And we're going to push that into ourselves through here and through our small groups. So get excited for that. Next week, we're going to examine theology that is behind connecting. So we're going to do the abide, the connect, and the share. And so we've already talked about what it means to be a New Testament church. We looked at Acts 2, 42 to 47. We're going to look at how do we connect faithfully with one another as the body of Christ. And then from there, we'll work itself out until the new year. But my question for you is, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Are you happy where you are? I'm not. I'm not happy where I am. And I pray that you're getting excited to come on this journey with us. I pray that you're desiring to grow that as a true Christ follower. You know, the world is going to see that. They're going to see the change in you. And it's going to prove the testimony that you are a true disciple. It's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in Him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word that it shines into our heart. And again, it's always sharp. It's always piercing. 
And we love you for that because that's what we need. Lord, we, we know that your desire is to transform us into your image, that you desire to have true disciples. Those who would give their life for you. Those who uh, are bold and would share the good news of you with a lost and dying world. We look around and we see dead branches. Lord, help us to see them as such. Break our hearts for the lost around us. We pray also that we would be examining ourselves and just seeing uh, some of the deadness that may be among our, our limbs. And Lord, we pray that you would prune those things, that you would cause great growth as well. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Grow us deeply together. We ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ.